We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is well, your first dispatch of 2023, which is exciting and extraordinary. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't. That 2023 sounds that sounds weird. It's it's strange. That's a mm-hmm. long time ago. It's a long time from where what? I don't know how to describe it. Whatever. I'm Camille how Foster. Stoned? Are you? Um, I'm with <laughs> so I'm with strange. the guys. The guys. Matt Welch. <laughs> Michael Moynihan. Um, this is very exciting. Uh, Congress has been in session for like three days, and they haven't done anything. Nope. Camille, can I, in- can I interrupt yeah. something? I need to interrupt you here. I was wondering uh, all day. All day? All day. Sat around all day. Yeah, I've got nothing to do <laughs> these days. <laughs> unencumbered. All <Yes>. day. <laughs> yeah, unencumbered. I was walking around the yard, you know, huffing on a vape, picking Mumbling. up leaves. And I said, I said, what, when, because he won't think about it beforehand, what, Will Camille say when he introduces me? He typically says, <laughs> not one in Vice News. And um, now that I am no longer uh, part of that uh, gang, what were you going to do? Say, great guy? <laughs> um, I didn't even mention- Legendary journalist? I don't journalist. mention anything yeah. about your affiliations or your or former affiliations. Yes. Or, 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 yes. or Matt's. And I've actually, yeah, several weeks ago, well, no, several weeks yes. ago, um, when some of the changes were afoot, I very quietly yeah. just stopped uh, doing okay. it. And you Didn't are calling attention yeah. to this rather deft change that I made yes. on the fly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It was so deft that I had no <laughs> idea what was happening. So I just... Look, the so reality, it's fine. You don't know... We don't do we, appeal to authority here. You, you are a host, no, co-host no, no. of the fifth column. You need no yeah. other affiliation but you no, have plenty and you have plenty of credentials and bona fides and yeah. we could read your bio and try to help people understand who and yeah, what we fine. are but i think it speaks instead, for itself instead if you could just wait camille i just want to do a land yeah. acknowledgement um <laughs> right now that i am i am on moynihan yes. land that was purchased uh, yeah. a yes. couple years ago and uh and it never belonged mine. to anyone else and i have the yeah. private yet yeah, as far as i can tell no I mean, it did belong to somebody, and I paid them right. a fee, and then they transferred it to me in the that's way it. that uh, it uh, typically happens. So, so that's all. Yes. My well, but we do have a guest. We, we so do we have a guest, and that's the thing. I mean, you, <laughs> you don't need to know anything about our affiliations, titles, yes, but but you do know that we keep good company, and we are joined by former Congressman Justin Amash, who I think is uniquely able to help give us some insight on the shenanigans that are taking place. On Capitol Hill, and and perhaps wild. Some nonsense. people aren't aren't paying attention. Um, congressman, I'm still going to refer to you as Congressman. Either that or Jay, yeah. one of the two. I'll make it very formal or completely yeah. informal. Oh, that's cool. Um, Jay, you're in D.C. as I understand it, and you are in some way, shape, or form, yeah, um, observing, involved in some of the goings ons. Can you give us an appraisal of what's happening here? We know that that McCarthy was supposed to, has been angling for the speakership for a very long time. When the Republicans got the majority, he was sure he was going to be the guy. Um, but here we are, what, four or five votes now? Um, seven. In. Six. Is it seven votes? Six. Oh, we, did we get to seven? I stopped paying attention. I don't know. Six. Justin, really? can you tell us? It's six, six votes. Yeah. Six. Six. And six. things are getting worse for yeah. him and not better. Is six. that correct? And... <laughs> Yeah, I'm just brought in as an independent observer just to just to see, make sure it's like a, an election in Venezuela. <laughs> make sure the, uh, right, right. Make sure yeah. the election is going as planned, and um, and 
Yeah, like, it's not looking good for McCarthy. But on the other hand, I've been through so many of these speaker elections where it didn't look good. And then, you know, at the end of the day, they pull it out. Because now, it, we've, yeah. I've never seen something like multiple rounds. But I have seen a lot of arm twisting. And I've seen people flip their votes and go from being completely against someone to being, you know, completely for someone. So you can't rule anything out, but it's not looking good for him right now. He's just been going round after round. So, I mean, what is the, the current situation? Because as I understand it, Republicans have, what, a 222 majority in the House. Um, they are trying to get to 212 in the votes. Is that right? What What does the vote need to be? They, they need 218. Okay. 218. They've got to get 218. Yeah. Yeah. The, to, to and at the moment, speaker, they've got 219 votes. people who are voting for someone who isn't Kevin McCarthy. We'll talk about who that is in a bit. And one person who's voting present. Is that correct? In the last, in the last round? Yeah. It's 20, yeah. 20 people now voting against McCarthy and uh, one voting present. I don't know if that's continued through all the series. Uh, so these yeah. vote series start to run into each other, and I don't, I don't know what's what's going on anymore in terms of whether people are flipping off the present vote or anything. But um, yeah, there's at least twenty people. Can, can who we are just give Kevin a little McCarthy. bit of context? And and look, I suspect the people who listen to this podcast are very learned and they pay close attention to what's happening on Capitol Hill. But what the hell does the Speaker of the House do? Why is this role? <laughs> important uh, <laughs> that was a brian yeah. lamb question by the way that was a classic but it's also lamb. a question what that some people need answered yeah. i mean I, i'm not going to explain what a bicameral team. legislature is if you don't know what that is <laughs> fuck you but just what does the speaker of the house do why does this ma- matter at all so the speaker is an official for the entire house for the entire institution the speaker is not a party official so if you go back to what the intent is for this role, it's to make sure that the process runs smoothly, to make sure that people can bring legislation to the floor, amendments to the floor, and there's someone there to to basically uh, bring it along. And it's not about putting your thumb on the scale, but just making sure that the House is operating in a functional, uh, fluid manner where people can actually bring their ideas and that the outcomes can be discovered through the process. What it's become over time, though, is a high-ranking official, the highest-ranking official of a particular party, which par- whichever party has the majority. And so you've got now this conflict of interest that's developed where the speaker is both in charge of the process and in mm-hmm. charge of all of the legislative outcomes. So if you look most recently at Speaker Pelosi or Speaker Ryan, they're both deciding the process for how things will be voted on and how things will be handled and also deciding in advance what outcome they want. Well, you can imagine there's a conflict here. If you want a particular outcome, you're going to create a process that produces that outcome. So what's happened over time is now the Speaker of the House puts in place a process on each piece of legislation to ensure that the particular outcome the speaker wants is what gets through. And that means that since 2016, for example, there have been no amendments freely offered from the House floor. Not a single member of Congress has come to the House floor, offered an amendment freely. That means not pre-screened by the speaker and gotten a vote on it. Zero. And that's really unprecedented in U.S. history. 
for hundreds of years, it was the case that members of Congress could come to the floor and uh, particularly on appropriations legislation, offer amendments and get them voted on, even if the speaker doesn't know what those amendments are. So this is a huge change. And in fact, Paul Ryan's term um, in 2017 and 2018 was the first time in history that you had an entire uh, two-year term of Congress where there wasn't an amendment offered from the floor. And then Pelosi's done the same thing the last two It seems also like people often don't want this job. Um, <laughs> you know, Paul Ryan is a, a good example of that. And, you know, Jim Jordan, people are putting him up and he's at the same time going up and saying, you know, I'm, I'm throwing my support uh, behind McCarthy. So as long as we're doing the remedial stuff, I'm going to give you a remedial question that is very difficult to answer because everywhere I go today, people are asking the same question and there's a disparate uh, and disparately stupid group of answers is very simple, but very complicated. What is the purpose of this? What is this, this kind of revolt all about and what do they want other than showing we're opposed to the swamp and we're opposed to this, you know, kind of rump of the old Republican party. I mean, is there an actual thing that they're trying to achieve that voters can actually so cop on to? Each of the individual say, oh, members it. has their own motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. They are not yeah. unified in the sense that they all have the same idea of what they want. But I can say that a pretty common theme is that the House is broken that representatives aren't able to participate in the process and they want people to be able to participate. They feel like they're left out. And so do the members who are voting for McCarthy, by the way. I, I also don't trust McCarthy. If I were there, I would not be voting for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I served with him for uh, a decade and I saw what he is. He's not a trustworthy person. He's not a person who's going who's gonna to allow you to bring your ideas to the floor and have them openly debated and all that. He's just not going to do that. You saw what he is. What, what is he? Um, uh, he's I, untrustworthy, but is he just an operator? I mean, what is, what do you, yeah. what do you make of him as a politician? He's, he's the most creature of Washington politician you can have. Like Boehner was an institutionalist for all of his faults. Boehner had some, uh, you know, romanticized vision of Washington now, he wasn't great at it. He made a lot of mistakes. I had lots of fights with Boehner. Um, I tried to oust Boehner from the speakership. But when it, comes, when it comes down to it, Boehner at least had some vision of Washington as a place where ideas go to get discussed and debated and you produce some product. Now, over time, he started to close the place down too and, and thought to himself that he couldn't you know, operate in that way where it was a more open process. When we got there, it was very open relative to what it is now, which is like basically zero openness. Paul Ryan was a policy guy. Now, he didn't really get his policies to the finish line, but he cared about policy. McCarthy, on the other hand, cares only about power. That's it. He doesn't, he, he's not interested in policies. He doesn't know much about policy. If you asked Kevin McCarthy, about a piece of legislation, he would not really know much about it. He's not that guy. He doesn't care. He's not an intellectually curious person. Um, I don't think he's that bright, honestly. I, you know, I mean, no offense to him, but he's not, he's not a particularly bright person. <laughs> I love when people say, they say but, I mean, no offense. Like, like, I don't know. But you he's were just actually keeping, not just smart. keeping it 100. He's just keeping it 100. You're not a smart person. I will, say, I will say, I, I interviewed him last year. 
uh, or, or maybe two years ago. And this is absolutely true. I have no idea what it was about. <laughs> I think back and I'm like, I don't remember why I interviewed him. The whole thing was the, you know, it's the kind of rote political answers and you know, you're not going to get anything. So you just kind of pull the ripcord and, you know, you check your text boring. But he was, but he was both, you know, seemed a bit dim and seemed a bit boring. Yeah, he's, and creature of Washington. Right. He, he's not the quickest guy. And <laughs> look, <laughs> he, he he got to where he is because I love that he thinks he's being nice. He, he, he thinks he's right. getting around it. He d- <laughs> he does have some skills, and his skill is schmoozing. Like he he knows how to win people over by glad handing, taking them out to dinner, uh, pretending to be their buddy. I'm sure he's um, a nice guy with his staff. For example, he seems like that kind of person. But when it comes to uh, working as a leader of the party or potentially a speaker, he's just a guy who's about power first and he'll do whatever it takes to maintain power. And that's why the 20 members don't trust him. It's why I don't trust him because they know what he is and they know what he'll do. He'll uh, betray them to the extent that he's made any promises to them. He'll betray them the first chance he gets and then lie about it. He has no problem doing that. Um, he's he's a compulsive liar, always has been. So from my perspective, there's a big trust issue here. It's not even about the rules package necessarily. You know, they've been talking about the rules package, what they want in the rules or, or what kind of system they want. Ultimately, these people mostly do want a more open process. But at the end of the day, even if you told them, here's a rule, rules package that makes the house very open, I think... A lot of them, most of them, would still say they don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Now, I've I've been through this many times. I said this earlier. If um, if they suddenly said, "Hey, we're behind McCarthy now," that also would not surprise me, because I've I've just been th- I've been through this too many times in my life where I saw people who said, "Yeah, we're absolutely one hundred percent against Boehner or one hundred percent against so and so," and then at the last moment. They're promised something and they flip. So, you know, um, it's Washington and as inconsistent and unprincipled as Kevin McCarthy is, I'm not going to go and vouch for anyone else's consistency. (laughs) We should point out here that you have some skin in the game that hasn't necessarily been fully disclosed so far, which is to say, as you uh, referenced earlier, (laughs) you were kind of a lead character in fighting uh, against – not just Boehner, but Paul Ryan as well. There was always like 20 assholes in the Freedom Caucus, which you co-founded, <laughs> right? And which whose founding documents you wrote, the House yeah. Freedom Caucus back in the day. Um, and, and the name, by the way, I came up with the name. It's so creative, right? <laughs> wow. I'm super, but what? the Freedom Caucus is like Menudo. <laughs> they just replace them. It's not the same thing. Yeah, this is not Justin Amash's yeah. Freedom Caucus. You know, we, when there was a lot of time on the yeah, yeah. we spent a lot of time on the name, by the way. Yeah. And finally, I was like, look, Freedom Caucus is pretty bland and like <laughs> inoffensive <laughs> and all that. So, what were the other uh, runners of Liberty Caucus? Um, they actually wanted to use Liberty Caucus, and I didn't did. let them because that was my that was my organization. So I didn't let them do that. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of them wanted to use conservative in the name, and I was adamantly against that. Not because I'm a libertarian, because I've always considered myself a constitutional conservative as well, and a fiscal conservative. But I, I thought it was a bad idea to have a group that was 
founded on the idea of opening up the process to have conservative in the name, because conservative sounds like you're talking about substantive policy. And we were focused on process. So I said, look, Freedom Caucus is a better name than some kind of conservative caucus. But also, we should say that you have offered yourself as someone who might be the speaker in this god-awful, hilarious, and kind of great mess. I don't know how much you were on the floor today. I saw you put on your monkey suit and like you're next to Thomas Massey and the whole bit. Um, but the last uh, uh, moment uh, in the eight o'clock hour, I think you were off the floor. Um, it was nuts. I mean, Amazing. people just screaming. Mm. It, was, it was like it was anarchy on the floor. It was for the first time in a long time, genuinely entertaining out there. But you've offered yourself. What was George Santos doing? <laughs> Have you seen those pictures? Oh my god! They're amazing. He's I actually felt bad the corner, for him. Sad. I felt bad for him. Almost. I mean, I felt bad for him first because his because his mother died on nine eleven. But I, I felt bad for him for I a mean, lot of reasons. The Nazis really but, yeah. did persecute his grandparents, except for <laughs> exactly. not his grandparents. Exactly. Um, but like yeah. you've you you know your ideal outcome includes like maybe somehow through the craziest hail mary pass in the history of American politics. You become the consensus candidate for Speaker of the House because why the hell not? It's 2023. <laughs> but, but the Speaker possible. of the House doesn't have to be a yeah, member correct. of the House, correct? That's right. This is news to me. I didn't know this. Yeah, well, but but why not? That's the issue. I mean, look at <laughs> look at look at what's going on. I'm not doing it. <laughs> look at what's going on in Washington right now. They can't pick a speaker. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm a great compromise candidate, so why not do it? I'm, I'm a former member. I know what's, what's going on. I know what, uh, the problems are in Washington. I understand why the house doesn't function properly. So I think it makes sense to put my name out there. And I've never been shy about the fact that I'd like to be speaker of the house. That's not like, uh, something that's just popped up now. I've said that for many years. People have asked me. You want to run for this, you want to run for that. I've always said the one position I really would like to have is Speaker of the House. And the reason I'd like to have it is because I think I would do a good job. And I would do a good job precisely because I want to go and do what the Speaker of the House is supposed to do, open up the process. I get a thrill from that. Other people get a thrill from going and getting their substantive legislation passed, right? They have a they have a particular piece of legislation they want passed and they get excited about going and working on that and maybe getting it passed, which is very difficult these days, by the way, because it's, it's all top down. So you have to hope the speaker is going to put it on the floor. I get a thrill from having our government work the way it was intended under our constitutional system. It makes me excited because I love this country. I love Liberty. <laughs> I love our constitutional system. I think we have the the best country in, on the face of the earth. I think we have an amazing constitution. And it is a real shame that we don't use it. There are libertarians who say to me sometimes, you know, it hasn't worked out. The constitution has failed, etc. If you look at our country compared to other countries, whatever the, the faults of our constitution and however much people have not followed it, it has helped as it has helped keep us freer than so many people around the world and i think too many people take it for granted and what i want to do is protect that instrument and i believe in the way the house is supposed to work and i believe that if we all come together 
and work in a representative fashion that actually liberty will prevail ultimately that that people like me can go to the floor and persuade people to protect rights but it that only works if the process is functioning as long as the process is not functioning i think that we will continue to have our rights violated we will continue to lose liberty and we'll we'll get to a worse and worse place i don't begrudge so, you the aspiration but so, is there is there a <laughs> constituency in Congress that would support this? And and obviously, it doesn't only need to be Republicans. I mean, do you have any thought in your head that says this could actually maybe possibly sort of happen? Yes, but only because of the circumstances. I think the fact that I am not a Republican or a Democrat works to my advantage in this particular circumstance. Okay. If you are a Republican or a Democrat and you go to your your conference or caucus, the Republicans call it conference, the Democrats call it caucus. So if you go to your group and you say to them, I want to be Speaker of the House and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to not raise money for you at election time. I'm not going to help you get onto particular committees I'm not going to, uh, you know, give you... <laughs> it sounds you know, like a great thing, deal so far. <laughs> really if, you say, if you say all these things to them, and then you say, and in fact, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to make sure tough votes are put onto the floor, and you guys are going to have a lot of debates, and you're going to have to read all the bills, <laughs> and you're going to have to... No, they're going to say... Yeah. They're going to say... They're going to say... Go fuck yeah, yourself, they're going to say, say. say no thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. If you. Yeah. If you are a Republican or Democrat, and you say that to your own group. Mm-hmm. But if you're an independent member... Uh, of the House, if you're chosen a speaker, and like I said, you don't have to be elected into Congress to be sure. chosen a speaker. If you're independent of the parties, well, the parties can do their own thing. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy can still be leader of the Republicans. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I like this permanent you know, QB Hakeem, Amash yeah, thing Jeffries, in the Congress. I think Hakeem that's cool. Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries can be the leader of the Democrats. Yeah, and <laughs> they can put whatever legislation they want on the floor. I'm not going to tell them what to put on the floor. If they want to bring legislation to the floor, I'm going to help put it on the floor. If it's, if it's legislation that a lot of people at home care about, yeah, put it on, bring it to the floor. You bring your amendments and you vote on it. You decide the outcome. It's not me. I'm not going to decide I'm, it. I'm not, so I'm not again. I'm not this opposed is the to this. Only, yeah. This is the only way it re- <laughs> the only way it really works is if the person is nonpartisan and separated from all of the political stuff. Now, have you talked to AOC about so, this? Uh, because she's sidebarring with Matt Gates and Paul Goser this week. <laughs> um, yeah, so I yeah. suspect you've talked to her because she seems like the I've, person I've to talk to. I've talked to AOC. Yeah. 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 About this sure, week I've about this. A, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people. Oh, what does she and, say? And will well, she come on the podcast? Can you gonna, get her to come over here and I'll, talk to us? I, maybe I'll ask her if she'll come on your podcast. Yeah, um, yeah I might. I'll, I'll bring yeah. it up. Maybe she um, could, you could come together and we, we do a yep. special episode just yeah. about that Justin Amash's permanent QB in the Congress. Just the two. Musical yeah. numbers. <laughs> so, but Justin, this, the problem is this, though. I mean, the 20 holdouts are not... I mean, the instinct to say they're hyper ideological, but they don't, most of them don't seem to have any ideology at all. They're hyper tribal. Mm-hmm. So when you say, I'm neither this nor that, that doesn't seem like it'd be an appeal to these people, would it? Well, what a lot of them want is the ability to bring legislation and amendments to the floor. Yes, they are tribal in the sense that they want to bring legislation to the floor that sticks it to the Democrats at times. Mm-hmm. It, it might be something very right wing. 
But under a, hmm. a, under a speakership that is independent, they can bring that legislation to the floor. And the Democrats can also bring their legislation to the floor. If the, if the Democrats want to bring Medicare for all to the floor, whatever they want to bring to the floor, they can have votes on that too. I don't know why we've developed such a fear of representative government. That's what drives me crazy. I'll be watching. Have you well, seen the people in Congress? <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching. You know the the news all day, and I'm seeing um, reporters, journalists talk about how this is outrageous what's going on and why don't they just get in line and things should be decided instantly. And these are the same people who will tell you how important democracy is and then they'll applaud the omnibus that passes with no one reading it, having 5,000 pages. And I want want to see people freaking out in Congress when the $1.65 trillion omnibus bill gets passed because these people just cannot pass a budget. Like that's so when my, that's when America looks bad and we're failing and all of the institutions are broken when that is happening. Not when they can't yeah. decide on who's going to be the leader of the Congress. At that point, so if I'm, like the ship has sailed already. Yeah. And if I'm speaker, you can bring whatever bill you want to the floor. But guess what? If you bring that omnibus and you tell me it's 5000 pages, I might give them five months to read it. So hey, mm-hmm. I say to you, break it up into smaller parts. And give uh, give people time to read it. And if it's got embarrassing stuff in there, that's all going to come out. You're not going to yeah, pull one they past don't want the American this people. They don't want so, this discipline, though. I don't think they want so that. I think that a lot of the rank and file members will want it if it's not coming from someone within their own party. If they know that it's coming from outside the party. What they don't want is their own leaders telling them this is how it's going to be. Because they're depending on their own party to help them with elections and other things. And I'm all for their own party leaders acting as their advocates and trying to prevent them from getting into a lot of trouble in terms of what they're voting on, etc. That's up to them how they handle that. But I think a, a neutral speaker is someone that a lot of people could get behind. Now, it's not going to be everyone. It's not going to be everyone, but I think it can bring a lot of people together. All right. You sure. were, that's a great theory. And you were on the floor today and you floated that theory in front of many members including the person who has your old seat, including you were sitting next to Thomas Massey, about half the people I would presume of the 20 who are opposing you, uh, or not opposing you, but uh, opposing uh, McCarthy, um, big difference there, are people who you know you've worked with. They're in the House Freedom Caucus, so they're comfortable. What was the, characterized the reception that you received? Not necessarily the individual uh, you know, uh, wisdom from each one, but like, did this get a hearing or do people roll their eyes? No, people don't roll their eyes. Are you sure? I mean, yes. On the, on the House floor, <laughs> there's good reception. In other words, I, I think if you're there for long enough, especially some of the members who have been there for many years and are not within the top levels of leadership, a lot of those members are saying, yeah, we do need this place opened up. We do need a different kind of Congress to work for the people where you get more of the like this isn't serious and all that is from some of the national media. If you go out and talk to some of the national media, I'm not talking about even the the reporters on the Hill, the ones who just do the Hill um, beat. Those are actually more receptive and understand why it might be necessary because they're around every day and I think they see the problems with the place. But a lot of the national media, especially the ones who don't cover it day in and day out, they're more cynical about the whole thing. Like, okay, this guy's mm-hmm. going to come in and you know do all this stuff that is revolutionary. It's, it's not realistic from their perspective. 
On the House floor, though, yeah, people are very open to this. And I'm continuing to have those conversations. It might go nowhere. But at the end of the day, if you don't try, you don't know. <laughs> and, and, and you also, by the way, have competition on this from somebody from your own state. Yeah. I mean, Fred Upton is a former congressman who is out there doing something very similar, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's saying he can be a compromise candidate. But I mean, it's kind of jokey. That one actually is, <laughs> that one <Yeah>. actually <laughs> is kind of silly because he's not campaigning on, oh, I'm going to revolutionize the place and change things and we're going to open it up and all that. He's campaigning on, I'm going to maintain the status quo. Basically, how it's worked before, we're going to have it work again. Mm -hmm. But yeah. what Fred Upton wants to do is, okay, just equalize things. Okay, we'll have some power sharing and all that. Um, that's not going to actually resolve any of the problems in Congress. The only way you resolve problems in Congress is open the place up in a serious fashion, meaning people at the top are not in control anymore. Uh, rank and file members have the ability to participate. That's the only way you're going to change it. Can we get you to put your impartial hat on for a little bit then and talk about at least one other person who seems to be in contention here, this this Byron Donalds character, who I've been assured by high-ranking members in the Democratic Party, he is merely a prop and not to be taken seriously. And there's yes. an interesting <laughs> parallel between words like prop and token. It seems to me that they're... Mm -hmm. They probably can't really be differentiated from one another. Seems a bit unfair to refer to him in that way. Um, what do you make of this chap? Um, is this a serious effort to try and get him to be the speaker? Is he is he a real, perhaps not compromise candidate, but a, a standard bearer for the contingent um, that at the moment, anyways, is kind of never Kevin, uh, as uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has described them? Love it. So I, I don't know him. Um, I've, I've never met him. I didn't get a chance to meet him today, actually, even though uh, there was a short period of time where at least we were sitting not far from each other, but I mm -hmm. didn't really get the chance to, to meet him and, and chat. Um, he, he seems like a guy who has the trust of a lot of people. Um, a lot of people say good things about him, including people that I trust. Would you say he's clean so, and articulate, Justin? I would, I, would not use, I would not use that framing, no. I mean, I, so you're I saying he's not clean and not articulate. Yeah. Wow. I'm not saying Justin Amash. About, wow. wow. I'm not saying anything yes. about it. Um, I, I think now, I, from calling the speaker a stupid pathological liar of this, I, I think he's clean and articulate. Yeah. So am I. Which yeah. I've never understood why that's controversial, but whatever. Uh, okay. So I, I, I don't think he's um, – you know, some kind of stand in for anything. I think that they have put him up as a credible candidate yeah. and he's, I've seen him on TV many times. Uh, he seems like a guy who has the trust and respect of a lot of people. So to me, um, I, I can't tell if it was a strategy to, for him to vote, no the first couple rounds and then come around, you know, voting or sorry, vote with McCarthy and then come around and saying he's against McCarthy. I don't know if that was a strategy or not. If it was, it's maybe a pretty clever strategy. Uh, but it seems to me that he's a genuine candidate. And I, don't, I, I just don't have any evidence otherwise. I mean, it's a, probably an easy thing to get behind somebody who's only been there for a year and hasn't alienated people or done yeah, too and, many stupid things to disqualify them. Yeah, right? and if you're, you got to remember, a lot of these members have been only in the minority. They've not served in the majority. Sure. And, yeah, and as a, a result, thing, yeah. you don't really know who they are. Like, we think we know who 
say even like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or a whole bunch of uh, these other characters that are often in the news, we we think we know who they are, but you don't really know who they are until they're in the majority and they're required to perhaps vote against their own leadership, vote against Republicans on things. That's where you really start to know what kind of uh, member of Congress this is. Quick thing about the, you mentioned this and the media reaction to it. I've been paying pretty close attention to it. And from the cover of the New York Post today, which was like a lacerating attack on these crybabies who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is lining up four square behind Kevin McCarthy, to, you know, all across Fox, right? Um, Sean Hannity, The Five, everyone saying, let's go, guys. Um, and now even former President Trump who, you know, another L for him, apparently, because Lauren Boebert gets up and says, Mm -hmm. you know what, you should actually be saying, you know, we should uh, uh, abandon Kevin McCarthy, which is kind of an interesting thing, because I mean, I'm I'm seeing this and saying, I don't, baffling these people who have got very MAGA for a time, particularly, you know, uh, particularly people at, um, at Fox News, saying, well, no, we should all line up behind the speaker and just let, let's not blow this. Whereas to me, politics isn't about getting mm-hmm. along. It's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of getting along. We shouldn't be getting along. But the thing that I wonder is, and you talk about the system and how much you love the system, is it so that, you know, and this just kind of occurs to me now, that the system kind of created itself over time for a very distinct homogenous two-party system. Mm. Whereas what we have now is essentially a European type system. We have a, we have a populist party. Uh, we have a mainstream conservative party. We have a, um, you know, progressive party, uh, the squad and people in that, in that vicinity who can really hold things up, which is exactly what happens in Europe. 5%, they get five, 7%. They meet the threshold for par- for, for, to get into the parliament and they hold everybody hostage, which has not been really a thing in, in, in the recent past in America anyway. And it seems now that everyone says, well, you know, he's got 200 votes and there's these 20 holdouts. You know, I mean, he's got 90% here. What's yeah. going on? I mean, but it seems like this this was a system that kind of wasn't set up necessarily this way, but just kind of created itself over time that you just had to have consensus within parties. To what, make one it refinement yeah. I mean, went ahead. Tucker Carlson um, sure. is on the record saying that this is actually kind of great if you don't like oligarchies. Um, and he from is tonight? insisting from that tonight. McCarthy yesterday, um, and insisting that McCarthy needs yeah. to deal. Um, I suspect that he's probably still holding the line there. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, he's he's right in some sense. I just don't like the people that are challenging the oligarchy in general. I don't, <laughs> I don't like, like anybody. So. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you don't like the people challenging the oligarchy. You mean this time around? Yeah, I mean, Lauren Boebert, who won by 16 votes that they found in the, you know, back of a, (laughs) a, you know, Stuckey's or something, (laughs) is just like semi-coherent when she gets up there. And I'm like, oh, these are the revolutionaries? These are the people that are storming the Bastille? No, you're right. If it were people that were the Freedom Caucus, actually, when you started it, which actually had an ideological core rather than a kind of just sort of generic MAGA um, against the elites, against the swamp mm-hmm. kind of core, I'd probably be, I'd probably be four square behind this. Otherwise, you know, now I'm just like, okay, I like them challenging it. I like seeing, you know, um, a, a spanner in the works. But you hope but, Marjorie uh, Taylor uh, Greene yeah, wins. I'm not exci- <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I understand why, you, you know, you want the, you, yeah. you know, the most intellectual, whatever 
yeah, most principled people to succeed, et cetera. Yeah. But no, I but, just don't want the least. But, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, their motivation to me is not the most important thing here. What what matters is what are they seeking? I, because if I went into yeah. each, if I went to each one, the each each one has a different motivation, and I I'll never sure, get to sure. the bottom of it. For, like, <laughs> but I do I do think it's important that we not rubber stamp Kevin McCarthy. That we do have a, dyna- a dynam- dynamic process, that we have a deliberative body, that uh, when people go to the floor, they can participate in the legislative process. And if that means that some of these people are the vehicle for doing that, then that's okay with me. Um, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. really it doesn't really bother me that much uh, because I, I think at the end of the day, what we need is that change. It, it, you're going to end up with more of these people that you don't like if we don't change the system. The reason mm-hmm. it's become so theatrical is because the system is broken. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the other way around. I, I hear this all the time. Oh, they closed down the process because there are so many theatrical tribal partisans. Yeah. I hear that all the time, especially from the who are uh, looking for right. exposure. They, on they cable say to TV me like, yeah. Oh, what do you expect Nancy Pelosi to do? Of course she closes down the process. Do you really think we can have uh, an open process when you have people like Marjorie Taylor green? I hear this all the time when actually mm-hmm. you've, you've created people like Marjorie Taylor green by closing down the process. You've created th- very theatrical people um, Madison Cawthorn is a great example of this. You've created people who are just performers, performance artists, mm. because the process is closed down. And when you can't actually legislate, what else do you have to do in Congress except be a performance artist? There's there's no there's nothing else to do. All they are is yeah. like uh, you know P- a PR uh, personnel. They're they're just there to to be the face of some kind of movement. And actually working on the details of policy is not a thing they do. That's, that's not. Does that trouble you in any way though? I mean, I, it's a very good point, but is it, is it something that you find to be uh, troubling? Well, why wouldn't it be trouble? That's why I'm, that's why I say I should be yeah. speaker because I want to, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to change the process. I w- just, I do want to remind you, you're not in Congress. <laughs> yeah. You are the high school kid who just graduated and you're coming back to the parties the next year. So, <laughs> and he's going to, and he's going to clean we up. We got to have a conversation. They always do. <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. Um, <laughs> so the speaker doesn't have to be a member of Congress, but whatever the case, whether it's me or someone else, the the point is it has to be an open process, and then you'll start to dilute this kind of stuff. If people can actually participate, they're not going to do all the theatrics. They don't have time for it. If you have to read all the bills and actually know what's going on, you don't have time to do all the theatrics. And if you waste your time on the theatrics, you're not going to get the legislation right, and it's actually going to mean something in a system that works properly because – there will be a lot of votes on the record and you can't take a bunch of bad votes if you don't want to get voted out. So I think you have to put Congress back to work Mm. on legislation if you want them to get away from being actors. I know that Mm. you don't want to give up any confidence and I appreciate that. However, Massey uh, has been on this podcast, Thomas Massey. You were sitting next to him. What did he say? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, come on, come on. 
This what a best you're you trying to get me into big trouble. Here. This is massive. It's massive. He doesn't give a shit. We're not going to tell. The, what's the name it's of fine. his caucus? I don't think he created his own caucus <laughs> that only he's the member of. I I think it's fair to say. I think it's fair to say, and I don't think he'd be upset about this. That he he has no love for Kevin McCarthy. He's said so many times on Twitter, you know, and and other places. He's he's been clear about that. But uh, when you talk to different members. What you find is they have their own idea of what is the best strategy. And that's not surprising. For some people, the idea of um, taking a chance of knocking out Kevin McCarthy means maybe putting someone in there who is just as bad as Kevin McCarthy, but actually uh, a more charming or likable character. You know, you might end up with uh, Steve Scalise, for example, who is more likable, who has... Uh, uh, you know, a, a background that is more sympathetic than Kevin McCarthy, but does the, exactly the same things as Kevin McCarthy. Is that better for conservatives or worse? So each person has to make this calculation uh, in terms of how they vote. What is the strategy? And I would say you take someone like um, Ron Paul, who everyone knows was, you know, quite an independent member of Congress. He voted for the Republican nominee every single time. When I uh, said I was going to vote against Boehner, Ron Paul was the one who tried to talk me out of it. Oh. Yeah, he came, he came to me and he said, well, oh. Justin, are you sure you want to do this? Can you give a give like better accent than that? Come on. Come on. You can do it. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get into <laughs> Well, Justin, come on. Come on. You, you yeah, no, no, I'm not doing it. You can do it. You give me a, well, it would become a, like a permanent thing in history where Justin Mosh is doing a Ron Paul accent. Moynihan? Maybe. In, in, in private, wait look, till he's got- everyone's got their own Ron Paul accent in private. But, yeah. And, yes. Yeah. And, and, and I certainly got mine. Everyone's got one. But I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it on the record here. Um, you, you know, Justin. I, why did he tell you to vote for Boehner? What was his, what was well, his, his what was the bad consequence of not voting for his, Boehner? His view was, uh, and he did this also with members of his own, um, you know, essentially his Texas coalition, his uh, his Texas colleagues. He would endorse them even though he didn't necessarily support them. His view was just more uh, well, what, what he might think of as pragmatic. I personally don't think of it that way, but again. Each person has their own approach to this. And uh, I can't say 100% that my approach is right. I don't know, for example, that stopping Kevin McCarthy doesn't create a worse outcome. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying, though, is that all of the alternatives that I see out there, even if they are worse than Kevin McCarthy, they're not that much worse. They're basically about the same. Like they're like Kevin, we're already at about as bad as it can get. The whole process is closed down. It's it's very top down. You you're not going to get much worse than Kevin McCarthy. So, from my perspective, you gamble on this and you say, look, I'm willing to take this small risk of it getting a little bit worse in order for some kind of great gain, a, a revolution to the process, something that's very different from what we've seen before. If, if, for example, let's suppose you had Fred Upton in, in there instead of Kevin McCarthy. There's no difference there. It's the same thing, basically. It's the same thing, ultimately. Wasn't, um, wasn't there some talk about Donald Trump as possible Speaker of the House okay, at some Donald point? Trump might, <laughs> yeah, Donald yeah, Trump might worse. be different. Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump might be different. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the one exception, but I, I don't think that's a realistic thing. You know, um, 
I so, think that's so. How does it end, I, 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 Mr. Speaker? How <laughs> yeah. does it end? Well, um, I, not how do you how do you want it to end? How do you suspect it will yeah, end? I think I should kick Kevin McCarthy out of his office. He's he's do squatting it. in the speaker's Just office. Squat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I think at the at the end of the day, you have to have um, either a unanimous Republican vote for someone like near unanimous where Republicans only lose four votes at most, or it's going to be a big divide. I don't see any situation where it's like 10 Republicans vote against McCarthy or whoever it is, it might be Scalise, and then five Democrats come over or some small number of Democrats. That's an inconceivable outcome to me. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine no, that No, the Democrats because, are enjoying this. They love it. Yeah, uh, I mean, they were booing tonight when they adjourned. (laughs) And and the Republicans are also not going to, you're not going to get five Republicans go over to vote for the Democrat, five or six. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because all of those people that. That's an MSNBC fan. That's like political suicide for all of them. So none of them are doing that. They're not going to go over. They're not going to cross. They might cross in big numbers. You could imagine a situation where like. 80 Democrats come over. But it probably once you get to that point, it becomes sort of uh, Hakeem Jeffries gives his blessing and they all go. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see I don't see a situation where you have these small divides. I think it's it's either like some kind of massive coalition, like a, a very serious compromise candidate or it's uh, one party dominance. There's no in between. And there's a lot of you're right. Fantasy world stuff out there of like, well, you know, 10 Democrats are going to come over and they're going to help uh, McCarthy. Well, wait, wait, let, let, let me offer another fantasy thing. But what if in a bit of backdoor backroom deal making that, you know, the kind of more moderate, that's how they would present themselves, uh, McCarthy type saying, hey, look, you don't want these Lauren Boebert type screwing things up. You're never going to get Hakeem Jeffries. So how about you take 15 guys and just don't show up? And then that lowers the threshold of the vote. We don't need these 20 and we will win. Is that something that is possible? Because that would the math would work out if you made a deal for certain Democrats, some sort of centrist Democrats to, you know, not show up and not vote at all. That's more plausible than they're coming over and voting for a Republican. I still think it's not the highest probability. I think it's more likely that you have yeah. a full, like a, a a big move, or all the Republicans basically stick together. I think those are the two most likely outcomes. People don't want to go out on a limb. Even the Democrats, even like the so-called centrist Democrats, don't want to go out on a limb and not show up and go back home and have a primary where the the opponent says. Oh, they helped elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker or whoever it might be. It's it's just mm-hmm. especially today uh, with the way the the ads become just you know more duplicitous. They were just completely dishonest. People will come in and just say you voted for Kevin McCarthy. Um you put him in office or you put him in a speaker and mm-hmm. it just it's not something you want to fight if you're a democrat. So you, I I mm-hmm. just think it's not likely. You know the the thing that I keep thinking about Justin is when it comes to quote unquote conservatives these days. I generally don't know what they want and what they aspire to accomplish. And I've I've been able to bank on divided government not doing much in some instances. And when I hear you talk about, you know, well, they got to get back to the business of like making laws. And I think, well, is this a, a good thing or a bad thing? What 
productive outcomes can you imagine a bipartisan Congress working towards that someone like you or me, who is generally in favor of like limited government and wants to see the government constrained, what can we imagine them working together on? Because the sort of things that they manage to vote together on today aren't usually things that I'm really excited about. There are very few, with very few exceptions. So in some respects, the the kind of intransigence of Congress, the lack of productivity has become a meaningful feature and not a bug for people like us. Maybe. I don't know. Perhaps mm-hmm. on net, it's yeah. actually worse because we keep getting all these continuing resolutions. But again, that's among the few things that they actually manage to quote unquote agree upon at some stage. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I hear this all the time. What's happening, though, is the bad stuff you don't like is still getting passed. It's just mm-hmm. getting shoved into an omnibus at the end of the year. And you're not able to present your sure. alternative. You're not all the so bad what, stuff what good is alternatives are out there. Is there stuff that you think could possibly come to fruition that we're, we're just it's kind of we're on the cusp of it. And but for serious leadership in the House, like we just don't have those things. But we could. Yeah. If Amash was permanent QB. Oh, absolutely. Now, again, if I were speaker, I'm not dictating the outcomes. But what I'm saying is, I think that the members themselves would come to the floor and debate these ideas, and you would get more liberty-oriented outcomes than what we have now. Now, not in every case, Mm -hmm. but on the whole, I think you'd be moving in a better direction than we are. But could you venture to guess what what any of the specific things might be? Yeah, sure. I could give you one example right now would be having more oversight over Ukraine funding. Okay. Now, I'm not here to tell you, you know, what there are people who are listening might like Ukraine funding, other people who oppose Ukraine funding, but mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. we can all agree there's not a lot of oversight right now. Okay. And and that's an example where you could get a coalition on the right and the left who say, yeah, we should have more oversight of this. But actually, there are people at the top who really try to stop that. Sure. An, an, another great example. A COVID commission is, is actually seems like something that could happen as well. I mean, the Biden yeah, administration sure. has been against there being an actual meaningful investigation into what went right, what went wrong. How can we do better next time? Who should be blamed for some of the egregious mistakes that took place? They don't want to see a 9-11 commission style investigation of what happened during the pandemic and perhaps uh, a Congress that was a bit more bipartisan could actually get behind something like that. And maybe a McCarthy wouldn't allow that sort of thing to come to fruition in a way that is genuinely and meaningfully bipartisan, which is a far better outcome than, you know, endless Hunter Biden hearings that go nowhere. Yeah. And and the reason McCarthy might not want something like that is Trump might not want something like that. I mean, yep. Trump mm-hmm. was president mm-hmm. when a lot of this started. I mean, sure. who's, the, who's the guy who's putting Fauci in charge? It's Donald Trump. So a lot of this stuff that happened could backfire on Republicans, so they don't want it. So they work with the Democrats. It might be Biden doesn't want it and Trump doesn't want it. So um, that's another example. Uh, Another one that is important to me is uh, civil liberties issues, Fourth Amendment issues. I used to form coalitions with people on the left, and we'd build pretty big coalitions. But those get shot down by Republican leaders and Democratic leaders. I'd go to the floor and there would be Paul Ryan doing a team up with Nancy Pelosi where they're on the floor speaking together. <laughs> <laughs> they're on the floor there speaking together and both of them in consecutive speeches saying why this amendment is terrible and why it should be, um, you know, why we should stop the Mosh Amendment. 
there are issues like the war in Yemen, where there are coalitions on the right and left who might say, look, we need to really put an end to this. And mm -hmm. yet Trump and Biden and the leaders of both parties are perfectly happy with uh, our country working with the Saudis and continuing to support them despite all of the atrocities, despite everything that's going on. So, yeah, I think for libertarians um, and for people who care about liberty general, generally, and that could be people on the left and the right. It could be progressives sure. who care about a lot of liberty issues yeah, yeah. as well. There is a lot of value in having an open system so that mm -hmm. these things can get to the floor. And again, a lot of this depends on your own um, perspective of the American people as well. I mean, I, I don't know what your view is, whether you're an optimist about you know, most people or a pessimist. I tend to be on the more optimistic side. When I go around, I think most Americans are culturally libertarian. Um, and I really do mean most. Now, if I talk to a lot of libertarians, they'll say, no, that's a joke. We're like 5% and most people want authoritarianism. They love that kind of stuff. I disagree. <coughs> I disagree. And the reason I disagree is because I experienced it as a member of Congress, I experienced going and talking to lots of people, people who had very different views from me. I'd hold town halls and I'd meet with people who were on the far left or, or they're Biden Democrats or whatever it might be. And I would talk to them and they would have disagreements with me. But after an hour or two of talking to me in a town hall, they'd say, I see your point. I see where you're coming from. I understand why you believe that. You just don't buy You it. are optimistic. I just want to clarify about the people of Michigan. Um, if you were in New York, you would uh, lose Wait. that optimism. But <laughs> only the people of Michigan. But the good people of people Michigan Rapids. are, in fact, good people. People of Grand Rapids. People of Grand Rapids. That's like not. Especially that's not UP, man. I've I've been to New York. The people yeah. of New York are people of New York. Yeah, I think I think I think you were in Rochester. I think you were upstate. <laughs> no, I'm. Like, I love New York City. I've been to New York City several times. I love New York City. And I think that the people of New York City also care about liberty. And sometimes what happens is you get so detached from what's actually going on. The pe people, that, and you guys know this, everyone's got their own mm -hmm. life they're busy with. And so they're hearing on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News or whoever it might be, whatever they're listening to, they, they hear about a particular way that the world is going. And they think what's being described is... Um, what's actually happening. And it's very often not what's actually happening. And when you get into the details of it, you find that their minds are very different about that, but they never get, you never get into the details with them. So they, they're not, you know, they're not persuaded of it immediately, but you have to, you have to work it a little bit. And I believe that if, if every day they got to see members of Congress debating things for real on the house floor, then they would be more persuaded. Right now, they've got nothing. They just have a, a five-minute soundbite on TV or, or someone doing a monologue for 10 minutes. So, I don't See know. Just I'm an optimist. We thank, well, on this optimistic yes, note. We, we thank you for, for dropping by. Um, I, I wish you luck in your, in your pursuit of this, this lofty goal. Um, to become permanent QB of of Congress, and perhaps you could out, yes. you could outlaw. No, I want it to be permanent. No, he's and, and just, again, permanent is, QB is for all, the game. This whole thing, it's by fine. the way, about liberty. This is a fucking smokescreen. <laughs> this is a dictator. He's he's Huey Longing this Dude. right now. He's going to go in there. 
first no. <laughs> first non congressman and the last one because he's going to last until forever. <laughs> I I told them mo- they can mo- they can change the motion to vacate rules just to get rid of the speaker. I'm I'm fine yeah. with changing it to one yeah. person. One person can come to the floor, put up a motion to vacate, and get a vote to. to I, I don't mind that like, rule at all. I like I, it. It's not even. I, a thing. I like that. I want there to be impeachments yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. The government's falling. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. We, it is true. It's we true. don't do We don't do yeah. enough impeachments regularly. We should, yes. be, we should be doing more. Um, uh, it, would, it would create some discipline, but yeah, get rid of me if you want. Uh, this is a temporary thing. I think it would be an, uh, an interim role so that they can get their act together. If they want to get behind some Republican, they are free to do so. But instead of having this, uh, drag on for weeks or months. Maybe they want to get it rolling with an interim speaker. Try something different. Let's see if the people like it. If they like it, they can keep me. If they don't like it, get rid of me. Well, so, you you heard it here first. To get rid of him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this campaign. Not a, this campaign that I might even call quicksand. <laughs> um, but it is a campaign. That's for sure. And we expect that Justin will be taking that seat and taking that office. From the, uh, and let's go, I got to give you the headline before you go, Justin, is uh, former congressman, speaker is dumb, dishonest, and power hungry. <laughs> that, is that the three things we talked about? Slow, yeah. I think you said yeah. slow. No, so, I'm sorry, sorry. D- <laughs> sl- slow, pathological slow. liar, and power hungry. You actually said yeah. pathological liar. Yeah. So I'm giving you newspaper people a headline for tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know if I said absolutely all did. Those and if you didn't, I'm going to lie and say you did because it's a better headline. I mean, but, but he definitely said uh, Congressman Donalds was not clean and articulate. Which, yeah, you know, that's yes, important. that's fair. Yes, important. that's fair. It was weird. That, it was also said. weird that he accused yeah, him of being a Holocaust denier. <laughs> that was weird. I thought that was odd. Oh God. You know, I was. It was so much fun just to let you guys know, uh, especially so today. Be back on the House yeah, he's regretting it. This is. No, I don't actually regret leaving Congress because most of the time it sucks. You know, most of the time because of the top down system, you're not actually doing the things you were elected to do. But this kind of stuff, I live for this kind of stuff. I love when you're having actual debate, when things aren't going the way it's supposed to go, where someone has a plan, someone has an idea and it doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of our system. That's what makes our system beautiful. I was trying to convince reporters of this today. They, they were like kind of poo-pooing it. I was like, this is, the, this is the beauty of our system is that we are not just rubber stamping things. We, so many countries in the world, we don't have this kind of thing going on. You don't get to choose. We get mm-hmm. to choose like this. Let's, uh, let's make the most of it and have fun with it and enjoy it and and, and take some pride in it and try to create a system where we do that every single day on every vote, not just this vote. Um, so I had a lot of fun today uh, seeing people on the Republican side, the Democratic side. It was, it was great. Amen. We need to have a system where, like the UK, that Liz Truss lasts, you know, four days or however long it was, the shortest in the history. When she was trying to do, by the way, very libertarian things. She was a tax-cutting thing that actually was her downfall. But um, but thanks for 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 coming, um, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah. And, Thank you. Uh, we we'll come you. back on when you want. To <laughs> okay. All right. Every not until yeah, I'll do that week. <laughs> but <laughs> until until then, go get AOC. No, I'll do it from the from the speaker's office. Yeah, we'll do it from the speaker's Justin, office. Justin, will you please leave? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin. Thanks, man. Wait, 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 wait.
we know of new methods of attack. How I feel about his chances, his his odds of of achieving his goal, <laughs> but I, I do I I appreciate the ambition. I think his goals are noble and just. Um, and he's persuaded me that it probably wouldn't be a bad thing if he were to be the guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There were like I don't know. He's not going to be the guy. There I, were. I could, we can hope. Sorry. We can dream. In fairness I don't think to the insanity, be. and of course he's not going to be the guy unless he is. Um, there were, I think, three state houses this week, including Pennsylvania, spectacularly, um, yeah. that had, um, at some point, Pennsylvania had, it was 100 versus 100. It was like stalemated out. And eventually, Democrats won uh, uh, speakership control or whatever, uh, leadership control over the house in question because of crazy last minute shenanigans and wheedling and deedling um, with Republicans who are in disarray. And there's a couple of other places where that has happened too, in ways that are like more interesting than merely, um, oh, you know, uh, the minority party won. It was more like, oh, this could be something that at least is more interesting than the usual two party politics shit. So um, that might happen. But I think we could all hear the kind of comparative silence uh, to the question of like, you know, um, so uh, your scenarios, how are they landing on people who actually might vote on this thing? Um, yeah, uh, it's hard to imagine that people are going to give up their prerogatives. The one thing I'll say about all that is that the vast majority of those people who are the holdouts um, and who CNN which I've been leaving on when I'm in uh, my kitchen futzing around about this stuff. Um, they have no differentiating language to describe other than that. They're nihilist, you know, dead ender, <laughs> crazy right people. Extremist. Yeah. Which in many ways is true, but also is like incomplete. Um, uh, but like those people all know Justin Amash, right? Like he, like that, uh, playbook of having 20 backbenching assholes give the putative leadership on the Republican side a hard time. Um, that is a Freedom Caucus, Justin Amash playbook that yeah, went yeah. back for yeah, this 10 is part years. Yeah, for the course. Yeah. And so like- Yeah, but four or five of them are, are first-termers, probably don't Yes. Know, Justin, but mm-hmm. the, there's, there's um, I do find it uh, remarkable that Camille sent along- a piece from the New York Times uh, that uh, said, you know, how nuts are these 20 people? <laughs> and in the, this is a news story. This is not a, not an opinion yeah. story. And in the how subhead- How far right are the 20 uh, Republicans who voted against McCarthy? <laughs> how far right? How far right are they? And the a subhead said something about their, their members, the ultra-conservative. Yeah. <laughs> ultra not ultra-maga. Ultra-conservative. <laughs> not ultra-maga? Literally yeah. ultra conservative. I mean, there could be somebody that is a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, <laughs> and they would not call it like ultra liberal or like ultra Marxist or like ultra terrorist. I love when they're, you know, kind of piling these things on top of each other to really show you how distasteful they find them. Ultra. I mean, I find them distasteful, but not because I think they're ultra anything. I just think they're ultra unprincipled and n- not universally. Because Chip Roy, I don't think, is a dummy. Um, but I, people like Lauren dummy. Boebert um, is a dummy. I mean, she's just not bright. And and she's just like the annoying woman 
at your kid's like little league game. <laughs> you know, it's just like she, she's like wine mom uh, in Congress. That's like, you know, the thin man goes home. Those the movies, there should be a wine mom in Congress. Make a whole wine. There mom was a, uh, uh, just, a headline that came out uh, somewhere between the, the fifth and sixth vote, I think, um, uh, this afternoon, um, where some of the 20 um, were saying that uh, I'm going to hold out until Kevin McCarthy promises to shut down the government. Now, I understand that that mm-hmm. might be a cause of confusion. It seems plausible. The government is funded until next December. <laughs> so if you are in that House of Representatives, you're like, like that's where spending bills are supposed to originate from. Um, and mm-hmm. you actually don't have the language and knowledge to describe how government is functioning, let alone your say in it. Um, the thing that they can do, um, and it'll be interesting to see how much they do this or threaten to do this, is that uh, there is a debt ceiling raising the limit of that is going to uh, happen eventually sooner rather than later. And it didn't get done kind of surprisingly in the lame duck Congress. They did do the spending until next December, but they didn't do the debt ceiling raise. But I think it's a, a microcosm, a little bit of some of the seriousness of it. I think I was, again, watching CNN and there was you know panels and panels and panels worth of people trying to um, uh, wrap their minds around what these people want. And you could do that mm-hmm. or you could flip to, to C-SPAN where those people were giving speeches. And Jim Jordan, who's someone – I've written a lot, many thousands of words about my lack of respect for him doing this, that, and the other thing. But his speeches were all about um, the $1.7 trillion bill that we passed uh, in Congress uh, a few weeks ago was a disaster and it shouldn't happen again. And we should do 12 appropriations bills as has been mandated by the Budget Control Act of 1974, whatever the hell it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's that order that we should be looking towards. Um, It differs than the description of it, which is just like a pure nihilist fart, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some Absolutely, absolutely. Is it a 100% nihilist fart? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jim Jordan talking about this, you know, blowout spending deal. I mean, this only happens when Republicans have a layup uh, in the midterm election and people like Jim Jordan allow it to be fucked up by, you know, supporting people like Herschel Walker. It's ultimately there. I mean, to, to, to cram that into a thing about about um the speaker seems slightly disingenuous to me but you know but bobert and these people i'll actually say one thing about what what justin uh said about his he has a lot of faith and he's very positive about the american people um you know the people he interact it's a self-selecting group if you're going to go see your congressman you're probably a little more engaged in politics than most people um but i would say this that i don't think that people really care about this because they don't really understand it. Because I think Camille's question to start was it was right. What does the speaker do? I don't think a lot of people really understand the importance of that. Please tell us what it is. But even beyond that, people t- tend to see this in passing. They'll see it, you know, when they're, you know, looking at the, you know, crawling Chiron when they're on their Peloton or something, <laughs> or on their phone, an alert pops up and they they see it and that's about it. 
And what they see is Republicans in disarray. So I get with I get why the Hannity's of the world don't give a shit about principle. They get they they care about a party that has been listless and rudderless and kind of pointless for for a number of years now. And then people see this and it's like they're yelling at each other about the speaker and 20 people are holding the rest of them yeah. hostage. They're not thinking as deep as Justin is, which I think he's right about. I, I mean, I actually agree with him on that. But as far as just as like the optics of it, it does not play well for Republicans. No, either. God, no. No, it's like, it's like the yeah. one thing that you are given the opportunity to exercise influence on governance of in the federal government. Yeah. You're absolutely turning into a shit show. Um, granted, yes. especially, in, you know, tonight – uh, recording on a Wednesday night, um, pretty entertaining when it was like, <laughs> when it was anarchy yeah. on the floor yeah. and people were like, yeah, people in their exactly. puffy coats were walking up and changing their votes on the pieces of paper. That was, yeah. that was kind yeah. of fun. Ber- Bernie Sanders and his puffy coat. I have seen, and Rose, <laughs> oh, we've yeah. talked about her before. She was, uh, Roseanne DeMarco, whatever her, her name is, Moynihan. Um, the, oh, the, yeah, she's got like blue hair uh, now yeah. and she's great. She was like, uh, yeah. uh, running around gesticulating i've been with justin in um <laughs> in uh, the summer of 2019 it was right after he had declared uh himself as an independent first uh he left the republican party um and he went back to grand rapids which is a mixed district it's a purplish uh district some college town stuff some knowledge class type of stuff a lot of healthcare, um and just sort of mixed and he went back and it was his first town halls. And I spent a day with him at five different places, like fielding questions. And it was fascinating. We'll throw up a link uh, on the weekend about this uh, to hear him talk. Because what did he want to talk about? He wanted to talk about and impress upon everyone the importance of process. It's like, you know, the process of raising amendments and not being allowed to raise amendments and everything. And the people who went there, and I forget what the, the recent shooting had been, but there was a huge recent shooting that had happened, you know, mm. uh, a, a day or two before. And that's what everyone was responding to. Like, what are you going to do about this? Especially you, like libertarian yeah. guy and gun rights guy. And his answers were great. And, and you, you know, go read the piece for it. It's like, he's very, very gifted, especially now. He wasn't early in his life. And he wouldn't, I don't think, mind me saying this, but like, he's one of those people who, you know, used politics to overcome his personal awkwardness. And he's totally a nerd as all the Star Trek references will, will attest, but also <laughs> like he's completely comfortable in his skin. It can go in any place in the world and like defend mm-hmm. his ground. But I watched him for a day, basically like talk about process to a bunch of constitutional legislative process, which is boring inherently. Um, and important too, um, to a bunch of people who are like, yeah, but what are you going to do about guns? Um, and it, yeah. it, you know, God love him for doing that or, or for anyone for the, doing that, ex- because yeah. it actually is no, an important I mean, yeah. thing to point out that Usually. this has, you know, there hasn't been an amendment offered on the floor since 2016. It's crazy. It really is. And, and he's yeah, the person who no, can no, say no, I, yeah. I ch- He's the person who can say it. And I, I really respect him for it. And then the practical part of my brain <laughs> says, um, I'm happy that you're doing this, but nobody else gives a shit. In the sense of like, I mean, if you think back to Newt Gingrich, 
in, um, you know, the 90s. I mean, Republicans take over Congress in 1994 for the first time in 40 yeah. years. I mean, there was uninterrupted Democratic governance in the House for 40 Just years. Tip O'Neill getting fatter and, by the second. And fatter. And it was like he was like flying over New Jersey and he blew up. <laughs> oh, the humanity that tip is going down. But the thing that happens is that, you know, you have the government shutdown and it's like, this is a principled thing. We're, we're standing firm on this. And you have all the subsequent government shutdowns. And if you look, who do people blame for the government shutdowns every fucking time? Mm-hmm. Republicans. I mean, it's just like it, it never yeah. like I get what they're doing and their principled stand is not popular with people because they don't really get it. And that's not being condescending to people and saying they don't. Oh, they don't get it. They don't. It's not that they're not capable of getting. It, they just don't really care to figure out what a government shutdown is. Does that mean they're not going to pick up trash at the national park? Well, yeah, that actually is what it means. Um, of one of many other things, but they don't really engage with it beyond that. Like these people are annoyingly obstructionist, and obviously they're doing so because they're annoyingly ideological. And that was the kind of rap on Gingrich at the time was that. Here is this guy out of nowhere. And by the way, here is an opportunity to point out that Karnacki, Steve Kornacki, yeah. our friend, did a um, podcast that I'm halfway through, which is spectacular, uh, for NBC about the Republican Revolution in 1994. I think it's actually called Revolution. Yeah. I can't remember. It's on my in my feed. But Steve is a – and there is one thing I want to say about it. And um, I was going to email Steve about this, so I hope he's listening, was that he plays a clip of himself as a kid. <laughs> Um, he, this has been played before on MSNBC. He was on a, um, a cable access program in Massachusetts talking about politics. It's very cute and precocious. And uh, you realize one thing when you listen closely, if you're someone like me um, and from where I'm from, you realize he got rid of a Massachusetts accent. He had a bit of a Boston accent in the child's <laughs> uh, video. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like bad. He's like, oh, fucking, you know, Gingrich. What a fucking dick. <laughs> it wasn't like that. But he had little, a little lilt in it. That made him sound a little tip O'Neill. He's kind of, but, uh, but yeah, his that accent is, is correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of upper Midwest. It's like Michigan. Like, well, that's what happens to people from Massachusetts when they try to. Oh, really? Accent. They and they yeah, they sound like newscasters from from and all these like, flat which, A's <laughs> and stuff. It's that's yeah, yeah, for sure, crazy. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, so anyway, I, I would <laughs> the 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 moment in time, and this is wonky, and I'll make it quick. Um, there was a series of government brinksmanship shutdowns when Republicans were the minority in the Obama era in the House. Um, this is when we had sequestration cuts. This is when we had the first year-on-year defense budget cuts, military budget cuts, since the end of the Cold War or at least, since the early 90s at least. Um, like Interesting stuff was happening. The, the new Tea Party generation was coming in and people tend to – smooth these things over or conflate them. But at the time, people did not like government shutdowns. They did like putting conditions on raising the debt ceiling. Those are two different things. And that confusion is going to be with us because we just, as I mentioned before, we've just funded the government through next December, but there is a debt ceiling showdown. Uh, Sadly for the Republicans, and this has been telegraphed for the last seven years, um, all of the credibility that they might have had on that issue in 2010, 11, 12, and 13 has been squandered by their big, big spending ways ever since. And so if they try to do that brinksmanship, it's not going – it's going to be even worse 
than every single time before. But it was for a while kind of popular. The moment that it stopped being popular is an interesting and I submit um, really underappreciated moment in American politics. It's the the fall of 2013, I believe it was, um, when Ted Cruz basically engineered a shutdown of the government over – I think it was funding Obamacare was the, the proximate cause at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. It was no longer – over like, okay, there's a debt ceiling, you know, we're either going to do it or not. And we're going to use that as leverage to talk about the old age entitlement uh, problems, which is something that both parties had been interested in dealing with for about 20 years up until that point. Uh, No, it was like, uh, like we hate Obamacare. Obama's name is right there in the front. We're going to shut down government without any kind of goal. Um, And part of that was over, um, there was uh, two deals, one in the House, one in the Senate, of spending and the the one was 3.5 trillion the other was 3.7 trillion so like it seems like he could have like come up with a 3.6 trillion dollar deal to like it wasn't hard <laughs> to imagine and 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 uh and what the senate decided to do was to not even name the people to negotiate with the house um and then like hold their breath turn blue um and say we're going to shut down government which they did for about 3 weeks i think um, and everyone hated it because it was stupid. Um, and it was like petulant by definition. There wasn't anything on the other side of it. You weren't going to gain anything. There wasn't like you weren't going to undo Obamacare in October of 2013. They spent a lot of time to make Obamacare happen. It's just not that's not how any of this works. But Mike Lee, for example, who's someone who gets otherwise some pretty good scores from your constitutional conservative people back when that was a term. I'm glad to hear it tonight from Justin Amash, but it's dead as a concept. Um, He was someone who lent his name to that shutdown that was absolutely pointless. It was to shut down the government, not about the debt ceiling, and it was for a a purpose that didn't mean anything. So it was a petulant expression. And so how much of what we're seeing right now is that similar petulant expression? Uh, uh, A lot, a lot. And, and and I would say this: I we are in danger of over wonkifying an episode of the fifth column. Sorry for a pretty that. Wonky one, but no, 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 I'm not saying you. Just in general, I mean, when you have Justin on, it's going to happen. <laughs> but I will make this a little less wonky and and use. Some, I think the American people do under do, if they don't understand details of policy, if they don't understand the ins and outs of Obamacare or the individual mandate or whatever it might be. They do understand hypocrisy. That is, that is the thing that you can always call somebody out on an ad, whatever. So when my thing that Justin did it in a way that I think was respectable and was, I, I understand and I, I actually agree with too, is the constant banging on amongst these halfwits about Ukraine. And what Justin said is like, you need oversight of this. Um, and I say, good Lord, you need oversight of this and everything else. Um, we don't have a lot of oversight. I mean, did we have oversight of this unbelievable great train robbery that was the COVID mm-hmm. funds? Nope. I mean, that is one of the most amazing, you know, heists in, in recent American history. And we're not investigating that. But we there's so much of this stuff that I would expect these other people, um, you know, like the unbelievably stupid uh, uh, Matt Gates, who just looks like a bad guy in an eighties movie, like a guy from the fraternity who is going to, you know, just be a dick the whole movie. Right. Um, sweep the leg, Johnny. He's like, kind of has that <laughs> vibe to him, 
But, um, you know, he's like, you know, tweeted it, uh, you know, is Kevin McCarthy going to, you know, is this going to be an unending war uh, that you're going to fund like Ukraine? It's like, well, it's not an unending war, by the way. It hasn't even passed a year yet. So let's, I, I guess maybe that's a, it's a long time. But I don't see this somebody as somebody who is principally uh, conservative, quote unquote, about spending in other areas, right? Because what all of these people are doing is they're doing exactly, this is the capture, is a very, very, very bad thing that happens to people. It's exactly what the left did in the Cold War and in, you know, everything before 1991 about various shitty countries that were, quote unquote, non-aligned or were, you know, friendly with the Soviets or were part of the Soviet empire or were Cuba or it's like they are an extreme kind of bunch of people, it, right? This is the the the, the twenty. Uh, most of them are, and the, the the people that would you know go up and say you know Cuba, uh, not a bad place. Uh, you know, it's actually doing things that America couldn't do and can't do. Also, fringy people, uh, not necessarily in government, although there were a bunch that were in government. But the instinct is the same. It's that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so what they see in Ukraine, it's not about spending. I totally agree with them on that, is that we really have to look at what we're doing, where this money's going. Is this a boondoggle in which Raytheon makes all this money and, uh, you know, Zelensky, I, like I, the escalating the war thing, I think is different. But as far as like, where are we spending this money? Why are we doing it? We can't rubber stamp this amount without looking into it. I think that's totally fine. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing is you have people who are like Hunter Biden. It was corruption. It was Burisma. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, um, you know, the Russia hoax and Russia's on the other side. It's an enormous web of simple thinking, right? <laughs> All these strands that come together in one kind of dynamic explosion of stupidity <laughs> in which you say something like oh, Matt Gates is like, I hate uh, Zelensky. And Zelensky's a thug. These people that say Zelensky's a thug, based on what, you dumb fucks? It's Nothing. Dancing. It's that they want to be on the other side in the same way that people wanted to be on the other side of whatever the Eisenhower administration was doing, whatever Nixon was doing. You're going to defend the Khmer Rouge, that sort of thing. It's the same instinct. And I hate to see it in Congress rather than what Justin did, which is a principled kind of, you know, we need to have oversight, which is what he says about everything. And what these Republicans don't say about anything except for Camille, Trump. can I ask you a question? End of rant. Sorry. Camille, um, there was loose talk in 2019, especially 2020 mm. in, I don't know, February, March. Mm. Got mm. a little bit heated. Um, got a little bit personal, probably. I'm just guessing from the outside about a possible Amash uh, Camille uh, ticket for the Libertarian Party mm. in mm. 2020. Um, judging mm. on, you know, your personal life, your sartorial choices, um, and what you heard <laughs> from, uh, the former, you gotta be look like, you gotta look like Fetterman. To <laughs> office these days, I'll Fetterman's tell you what, family. my kids would never go into Congress wow. looking like that. What you were so mad at that. You were so mad. Believable. Yeah. What was wrong with the way they looked? I mean, I think that constitutes like child abuse. Like you can't just put long pants on them and say, "See, look, hey, they can dress up, they clean up nice." No, they don't. Get the boy a shirt that no, fits. It, he didn't even have hands. Yeah. You couldn't see his hands yeah. because the sleeves yeah. were so long in a damn yeah. shirt. He looks crazy. And John Fetterman, mm -hmm. he looks better in the hoodie. Just let him wear the hoodie to work. This is yeah, stupid. He actually does. This yeah. is dumb. Yeah.
and the yeah. most fashionable man in Washington, D.C., John Fetterman. Who said that? the New York Times. No, they did not. Yeah. What? Yeah. They no, they didn't. That's they not didn't true. mean it. Yeah, that's, that's, not fashion that's the headline. So it wasn't in most the fashionable. Fashion most fashionable. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm literally gonna go to Port Authority tomorrow <laughs> and take a picture of somebody like lying in their own piss and say, "Is this the most fashionable person <laughs> in New York City?" They're literally wearing a, a hoodie and ripped back to pants. Look for the, to look for it. It might not even be in that's the city. I don't think it was constrained in that way. As you. Th- well, I'm going to, I, I want to just nominate other people of the same kind of sartorial excellence as, as, John as you think about that, Camille, but oh, it, was uh, the, it was so the Hill, Fetterman, Fetterman press. No, no, the it's hell, Fetterman Presley hell. among New York times list of most stylish people, the Hill no. reporting on the New York times. So God, I'm not no. wrong. Uh, by the, the way, do times. you think, do you think Iana Presley dressing the exact same, but doesn't have alopecia? Do you think, she's <laughs> anything? I think wow. that's why she's chosen. Wow. Honestly, no, the, I'm just well, telling you. The picture of her. The picture of her in the her hill name out is, your mouth. Uh, her with the with the hair. So. <laughs> GIG, what's up? Yeah, yeah. Sorry oh about man, that. don't um, get Will over here. Can I? I, I yeah, I want to. I want to do a weird oh, um, uh, gear shift because I think that you guys will have uh, quite a bit to say about this. Um, and it has dominated news coverage uh, for the average person who doesn't give a shit about um, the spineless, boring Kevin McCarthy. It is about um, the Hamlin cardiac arrest. Oh, and that yeah. Hit, um, his hit mm. in the, the, the Buffalo Bills game the other day stopped the, stopped the game. And, um, you know, everyone afterwards who's on Twitter, who's in media, takes this opportunity to do the little two-step about how the NFL is terrible and, you know, it it hasn't taken them long enough to cancel the game, right? They're always like immediately looking for this line in which you can um, get, you know, seven MSNBC segments out of it. Um, But um, Skip Bayless, and you guys know Mm -hmm. Skip Bayless, who's a ridiculous person. Piece of flaming human garbage. Yes. Yeah, he sucks. I mean, he he does, but the tweet is, I think, been pretty notoriously and awfully misconstrued. And I think almost deliberately so, it seems to me. I think it's deliberately so, but I'm going to read the tweet and I want to, I want to say one thing. We haven't talked about this at all. So I'm, I'm not surprised that we've reached the same reasonable conclusion, but yeah. (laughs) Probably have Demar Hamlin, you know, uh, had basically um, a one in 200 million uh, uh, chance of, going into cardiac arrest uh, in in this, uh, what happened. It's just, it was a freak accident. Well, you mean it wasn't it's the COVID hit. vaccines. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That yeah, suddenly. Yeah. No, I mean, I I only deal with intellectuals like Michael, <laughs> um, who is, you know, determined that anybody who has a heart issue. Yes. Uh, he basically. Because prior to the COVID vaccine, no, no, yeah, whatsoever. at the end of nobody. the play, it <laughs> Not, like, which no. didn't involve his heart. He just tackled a dude, stood up, went away from the play and then suddenly collapsed. And it was really, really yes. weird yeah. and awkward. And thank God I, wa- I wasn't, it was about me, uh, watching uh, the television as it happened. But like it was completely harrowing. And, my, and they, he's still clinging for life, from what I understand. It seems like he's getting better, which is great news. Um, because one of those tear-jerking stories that they always throw in, I actually... Uh, fell for it this time, and I'm happy that I did because um, Hamlin is uh, also a very Seems nice like a person. Great guy. Yeah, 
and 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 does like a lot of nice things for like his local community before he was like even making a ton of money. So it's not like, you know, I'm going to give back now. He's always been doing this and he seems like a really uh, good guy. But Skip, Skip Bayless tweets this. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of the game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. Now this is the most important clause in the finishes mm-hmm. the tweet, which suddenly seems so irrelevant, right? Okay. So he is pointing out a fact that it appears now that there are two teams that will, the Bills and the Bengals, that will be one game shorter than everybody else because it's the end of the season. They just, they will have to deal with this. This is a very difficult thing. They're going to have to play a game in the middle of the season. No one has figured this out, but it looks as if they might just play one last game. So that's a really, that's something that never happens. He's a sports commentator. You, You mentioned these things. But the timing mm-hmm. was bad. Mm-hmm. Too soon, too soon. But he does seem say, you know, this is the thing that these people are dealing with. But it suddenly seems so irrelevant now. Of was, course, was there an ellipsis the outcry, at the end of that as well? Uh, I uh, okay. No, it was okay. a full stop. Um, and, and by the way, uh, full credit to uh, Skip Bayless for not deleting that tweet, which um, was quote tweeted seventy eight thousand times in viewed. Uh, yeah, viewed 165 dick million times. Professionally. Yes, that's he's a professional dick. But so the story that I saw today in the New York Post, it was this headline. Athletes call for Skip Bayless to be fired after sick DeMar Hamlin tweet. Okay. And then it has a whole bunch of uh, professional athletes saying he should we should ruin his life because of this moment of um a tweet that was, you know, either misconstrued or or ill-considered, whatever it might be. Let's just take it in the worst possible way you can take it. And these people who make millions of dollars a year are getting together and saying this person, um, people who I, I presume he's probably criticized mm-hmm. before, um, are, are saying you should uh, not have a job. On the show last week, it might have been for the, the Substack one, so subscribe to that, people, uh, when I talked about a column in The Sun in the UK about Meghan Markle, that was by the what's his name guy, the, the Top Gear guy, who's notoriously uh, a mm-hmm. dick, and uh, that's his brand himself. And uh, he was forced to apologize because there was a bit in it where he said, "I I I dislike her so much. I wish she they would parade her through the street naked, and they would we get to throw dung at her." Which was, as Matt pointed out, a reference to Game of Thrones. He apologized. the 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 newspaper apologized. I think they pulled the column. And, you know, it's, it's again, a joke or a comment that maybe didn't land. And maybe as an editor, I would write back uh, to Jeremy Clarkson, who wrote the column and say, eh, I don't know if this is going to land, right? So maybe it's an editor problem. But it really bums me out that every time this happens, there is a call for the people to be disappeared from life. Skip Bayless to be fired from his job because of one ill-timed tweet. Right. And somebody who I, I imagine these players and people who are also quote tweeting him and, and, you know, attacking him would say the guy who got caught selling cocaine shouldn't go to jail for 10 years. I imagine I can get people who are quote tweeting and attacking Skippers to agree to that. But there's a very different instinct online. And there's one with this new kind of idea of speech, it being either, you know, violence or so destructive that people have to be made to disappear mm-hmm. because of it, 
that people automatically, including professional athletes, are getting together, joining together, and saying, we will not talk to ESPN, we will not, if Skip Bayless is still employed, we have to make sure this man can't pay his bills, uh, you know, can't pay his probably very expensive mortgage mortgage all of a sudden, he doesn't have a, a, a job anymore, that Jeremy Clarkson can't make a joke that you don't like because the target, Meghan Markle, is apparently, you know, quote unquote, not white, whatever that means. <laughs> That's what I'm told. I have no idea. And that therefore elevates this to an emergency level that everyone has to get together and say, we need to pull this column. We need to not. I get, this happens way too much that you see headlines of people or um, publications apologizing for columns that have stuff in it that's, that, that's distasteful. We can handle this, people. We can, we can read this stuff and then say, I'm never going to read Skip Bayless or Jeremy Clarkson again and let the market decide in, or in just, that way. But I really don't like this instinct to say we have to get rid of them and we have to have them fired. Mean, I, I just Skip, say you Skip is still, is still tweeting about other things. He's still on the air. He's tweeting no, no, about I, Giannis getting like 55 and there are still people mm. responding. Why haven't yeah, you course. been fired yet? Get rid I mean, of this guy. Do you guys not know? <laughs> people love it. They Skip get how much, mo- how much moral. Yeah, no, no, no. Sucks. That's the I, thing. I understand like, that. Skip Bayless is like Charlie he, Kirk. He's a wrestling he's like Charlie Kirk. Like, yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like getting mad at Stephen someone, A. Smith. It's like that's someone like, that's almost died on an NFL field. All right. Um, so let's set our watch, uh, Hitchens style, and see how long it takes yeah. for Charlie Kirk to or tom woods which he also did um uh to come out and like say well i don't know myocarditis yeah um but that's like, not what skip yeah. did no what i'm saying it's a, the it's a similar thing people are absolutely predictable you know that skip bayless if you know who skip bayless is and what he mm-hmm. does he's a professional dick he's a professional dick and i mm-hmm. totally agree with Moynihan. By the way, that the solution is not to like get all in your dudgeon and call for the man to be fired. It's here's the solution is to say, you dick, or like, I disagree yeah, with yeah. this thing. You maybe like reconsider this wording. Um, usually with Skip but Bayless, even the dick is thing. like yeah. you dick, because yeah, he's almost certainly being a dick. If there's like a, I, I mean, it's like on the razor's like it edge. With this tweet though, it didn't yeah, sure. seem like it with this. Camille, I don't doubt that you can look at an individual tweet yeah. from a shitty person and conclude that there is a generous interpretation of it. Skip Bayless is a dick at all times, and but in I, a moment, I, I will point that someone's night. body is twitching on a field. Skip Bayless is like, "What can I do?" That is oh, absolutely. Gosh. No, it you, absolutely you also, is what he does. You, That's you, what he fucking you have does. to consider, but you have to consider the fact that he is that person and it might not be that plotted out that, but the thing about it is that the people who are responding to him on Twitter have no idea who Skip Bellis is. That's very clear from a perusal of their own Twitter feeds. They don't, they don't even know it's sports. These are the type, type of people who still think it's funny to say sports ball. Like that's a joke that people, that was funny 40 years ago. And they're like, yeah, I like sports ball. It's like, okay, it's hilarious that you're a big loser. I get it. But the thing about it is, is that the people uh, denouncing mm-hmm. him, I don't like the charge they get from it. I don't mm-hmm. like the fact that there is this pile on. Everyone's like, I am, I, you see it and you're like, I got to get in there. Like, who's this random fucking guy watching a sport that I don't watch that I just saw this clip uh, on, on Twitter for five seconds 
And I have to go in there and just start yelling at this guy who said something that was dumb and formulated a tweet that was stupid. And I, I mean, I don't think it was offense. I don't think it's offensive. I, I'm sorry. I don't to say like, you know, what are they going to do about the game? It's just really ill-timed. I would never do it myself. And then saying it just all, it, that all seems so small right now. You know, the, the, the next breath being that there's a guy twitching on the field, but you know, the response to this is that like, why does he still have a job is something that nobody would have said in the 1980s or unless 90s, there was or one even or nineties or odds. And there was one thing that has always been true. And people don't realize this because they think that anti-racism started with the, uh, the publication of the first Robin D'Angelo book. <laughs> that if you were, um, if you were, um, you know, Al Campanis or whoever it was that, said something, or Jimmy the Greek, in the 80s. These are both in the 80s, right? Both got fired from their jobs for saying things on television that were wildly racially insensitive, right? And seemed to subscribe to a genetic inbreeding, quote-unquote, with Jimmy the Greek, view of the races, which is quite dumb. To be clear, it was that black people lack the necessities for management and that they're not so good at swimming. Which, I mean... And the, well, but and then Jimmy the Greek, um, who said that like they bred they bred black people to be stronger as slaves, so that's why they're so good at running in mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, what's going on? In, what's going on in Kenya? Yeah. Like they literally I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy the Greek actually record. just like, saying out loud what many people believe, including lots of hundred percent. Maybe, maybe still today. Most, (laughs) I don't know. That's totally right. But the point, the point being is that this stuff did happen in the past, but it was really limited to stuff that people were like, wow. And also you didn't want to say, Hey, 12% of the population is black. They like sports. Now they're not going to watch our network because there's only three choices. Like ABC, CBS, NBC was a business decision too. And so you make a smart decision to not, but as Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald pointed out on his podcast, uh, making this joke with Jimmy the Greek, it's like, you know, they're talking about race. They actually, they call him the Greek. <laughs> it's like literally a gambling guy called yeah. the Greek. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's in his, it's in his, uh, it's in his blood to get, uh, to get racial in about blood. things. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because it, it annoys me. That the instinct is is to say, how do we get rid of this person? And I think that the, the Twitter, um, you know, ten years of like the of people having the instinct to ban everyone. And by the way, Elon Musk being back and all these people back on, like Graham Linehan, who um, the guy that did Father Ted and you know blew up his entire life to be like an anti-trans kind of whatever whatever you call it uh, thing. He's obsessed with this. And he's back on and he's tweeting all the time. And I see it in my feed because uh, I was a big fan of Father Ted. And it, it, no one else notices it. Like he's back. All these people are back and it's not changed anything. The world hasn't changed. It's not gotten better. It's not gotten worse. But for, for 10 years of people knowing that if you had a noxious idea, you could click a button to report it. And if enough people click the button to report it, they would be sanctioned censured, censored, or banned. They literally, and they that literally was, had that's a, what people uh, a, a, a category in Twitter called tattles. Tattles. <laughs> it was called tattles. Wait, it, wait, on, on, what, what, it was like a hashtag? So, like, uh, the David Zweig uh, 
Twitter oh, yeah, files yeah, yeah. from like, you know, January 2nd that was published at the Free Press, Barry Weiss's joint, talked about this and he was focusing on people who were saying in many cases true or certainly arguable things from a position of expertise or knowledge about COVID and who nonetheless had their tweets or their whole Twitter thread throttled or suppressed in some way. And one of the categories that uh, allowed them to make these decisions uh, were literally called internally tattles. A bunch of people, well, he's got a lot of tattles. Lot of, <laughs> oh, they're called wow. tattles. It's just- That's amazing. I didn't read that because I can't read on well, fucking Twitter well, 700 the, fucking- yeah, The good thing about that it, one, but that- yeah. Thankfully, Good. that one, and I, I don't read, I will never read another Twitter file on Twitter, uh, but that <laughs> one was published in the free press as yeah. a normal thing that one can process. Um, and it really struck me. And David Zweig, by the way, is a totally normal, non-political or ideological. Yes, and he's been slimed right. as being someone who used to be a normal liberal, but then uh, got radical about wanting to open schools or something during the pandemic. This is a mother Jones yeah. asshole. Yeah. I think it was, uh, who tried to, to, to yeah. hit piece him on that. And no, like in this similar way, like of all the Twitter files, and there's been like a, a, a I think a dozen by now, uh, different threads about these, the ones that have interested me from the beginning is just, is it, like a Stanford professor or a Harvard professor or someone who's really literate about reading studies who is saying something true, true, um, or at least like yeah. an informed opinion, like I think this based on what I know, which is more than what any of us know, um, it, you know, doesn't mean that they're right, but it means that it's an informed opinion, um, had their accounts throttled by various means and um, and in the, I think the second one that Barry had done, uh, she talked about how that there were different, multiple categories uh, called blacklist. <laughs> so you had multiple yeah. categories called blacklist that were used on people talking about COVID, usually in ways um, that weren't necessarily untrue, but that contravened White House and uh, CDC policy at the time. And the David Zweig thing introduced also that there are bot farms that are just sort of like basically um, hoovering up keywords about this. The next line of defense are like Filipinos <laughs> who are like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and yeah. then, and yeah. then the third is like, there's tattles. There are actually people saying, you know, Michael Moynihan just said uh, this thing on, uh, <laughs> yeah. on Twitter. Um, yeah. And that is useful information. There's a lot of other stuff uh, uh, in the Twitter files that don't interest me. Um, not to say that it isn't itself interesting, but just yeah. doesn't interest me. But like if we are throttling basic normal human conversation overwhelmingly in one direction on COVID in particular, that should be a moment of reflection. And I saw so many people, even with the David Zweig things, um, who reacted to this uh, as if like, oh, so they're just complaining that anti-vax people got like blocked. And that's just like, that's not at all who anyone was talking about at any point in that conversation. And it, it's, it speaks to me that we're not ready to process uh, the last three years of shit.
final thought on this is that it, it is, it, if this were happening to people, and I think this is true of people like our friends at FIRE, and it used to be true of people at the ACLU. Now, FIRE is no longer an acronym that ends in education. It ends expression. in expression. Um, expression or earth. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say earth. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, but but if, if, if it were happening to, you know, exclusively – uh, people on the left who had a, uh, uh, you know political ideas about X or Y, I would be just as exercised about this. I assure you, you don't have to believe me, but I, I assure you that is true. And I came across a story of somebody who I cannot possibly comprehend why the man has any success. I, I've tried. I just don't get it. It is Jordan Peterson. And there was a story, which appears to be true, and I looked into it, checked out, that the he is a psychologist or psychiatrist, Jesus one of the Christ, two. Really? Um, hey, I want. I don't. Well, I don't know which one he is. He's he's probably both. He has a PhD. He's so practicing. Maybe he's it's the best part of his books is when he talks about his practice. It's really interesting. Oh, as as psychiatry. So I don't know if you saw this story, but the Canadian uh, psychiatric uh, loser guild, um, who are the people who govern, you know, the practice of psychiatry in the country of Canada have uh, put him under review and uh, said he needs, if he wants to practice in Canada, he has to go through a kind of re-education class. <laughs> uh, it's on their website. You can look at this. Uh, for, and I think the offense was how he transmitted ideas in public wow. or something. I'm not joking. Wow. It's something, something it's like horrifying. that. And Jeez. It's horrifying, right? I don't care if you like him. I don't care if he makes sense to you. I don't care if you think he's... He's a charlatan and a dilettante. Doesn't matter. That stuff is terrifying. Genuinely. And, you know, it, it, and it reminded me of multiple academic journals that have apologized. Uh, two that I can think of off the top of my head uh, have apologized. There was a guy in the, his, the American Historical Journal, I think, or one of these, these things, who wrote something about speech and uh, let off. And, and they apologized and pulled the essay and they pulled the essay. And it's just really important to aggregate all of these things and understand and not think it is paranoia when people don't want to say their opinions in public. Or they know that there might be something on the other end of this, no matter how banal it is, if it just is on the other side of what has been determined by the nomenclatura, by the intelligentsia, what is acceptable views on X, Y, and Z? And it reminded me of that because... With the Zweig reporting, that is surely true about COVID, which was the most offensive thing, because that was an ever-evolving story in which nobody knew anything. And so to, to solidify what was true and what was not true in the first couple months, you know, John Ioannidis, a like world-famous epidemiologist at Stanford, like, I mean, you know, one of the most cited guys, was basically put into jail by people who aren't epidemiologists. Yeah and work at tech companies, et cetera, because it was decided that that was not the acceptable view. That is it's not good. Crazy. People. It's not it's the government crazy. that's doing it. It's fucking yeah. crazy. And, and I want you to understand if you are somebody who thinks that John Ioannidis is wrong, thinks that Jordan Peterson's a crackpot, think that, that, you know, this academic journal shouldn't have, have um, hired this reviewer or written that piece. The point is that they're going to come for you someday when, you know, we talk about this all the time with executive power, it's like Bush expands, expands, expands. Holy fuck, Barack Obama has the power now? This is what's going to happen to you, is that someday those cultural winds will shift and you're going to be the bad guy. 
and you are going to be slowly written out of things or asked not to join things, asked not to write for things. And you understand where Jordan Peterson says that, you know, my public utterances will affect my professional life and even my personal life in ways that have no relation to those utterances, which is what you see in that little um, exercise with the Canadian Society of Weirdos, whatever in it was. Um, the but anyway, people who yeah. brought the charges against him or like who made the government take them seriously, uh, none of them, as far as I can tell, were actual patients of him. They said, Jordan Peterson put me in danger. Put me in danger with those terrible words that he said. And he is that's the Tom Cotton he thing. is not yeah. there therapist yeah. in any way shape or form it has nothing yes. to do with their lives he just says yeah. things in public and you decided to yeah. elevate those into positions of danger which an adult <laughs> would respond to as like oh okay that is your opinion and you're actually not in or somebody who went to harvard and works at the new york times <laughs> i said they adult. might feel like they're in danger too adult. uh <laughs> is that it's like, okay, that's what you say, and that's fine. The government has no stake in this. And the adults should have, yeah. like, they should have no stake in this. It's a human being yeah. who's expressing things. That's just the way it is. And that is not how it is in Canada. Um, you yeah. can look at uh, how, uh, what's his face, uh, Michael, uh, from the uh, Western Standard from back in the day, whose name I'm. Ezra, Ezra Levant, Levant yeah. who wrote a great piece yeah. uh, for Reason that I commissioned at the time. And sorry, Ezra, for forgetting your name uh, at the time. Uh, but that talked about uh, being hauled up in front of in the post. A human rights commission. Yeah. The human yeah. rights commission. Like, just know this is yeah. not the way to go about anything. You're not um, at risk because someone is expressing an opinion that is strong. And has a big audience. That's the whole case with Jordan Peterson. There's a trillion people who say things, not a trillion, maybe a billion, maybe hundreds of millions who say things like Jordan Peterson does. And they don't have uh, any problem with it, with yeah. their governments. It's just that he has reach. He's being blamed for his reach, not because he did anyone anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, the, the thing we're going to have in the future is uh, people pushing for more european style hate crimes laws you heard it here first it's coming and uh we do kinda have protection all, already in the constitution I mean, a lot of people already assume we already that's have true. it and plenty of other people yes, lawmakers right. included insist right. that this is the case that, that hate speech is not in fact free speech well motherfucker hate speech is actually not a thing in the united states of america it's just not a thing yeah, yeah um, exactly. no matter how many times you insist yeah. on that so it is free speech asshole yeah we have to have somebody on um like uh, who can talk about this stuff. I mean, there was this, um, another one of these noose things, um, you know, a, a paper towel noose in a Panera in gross point, Michigan. Um, and you know, the police are investigating and all this stuff. It's like, I don't know what they're investigating. I mean, you're in uh, th that, that kind of mm -hmm. is a strange thing for me that um, people are in, investigate that kind of nonsense, probably when it's either done by a person that so many times it's done by a person who actually works there or discovered it or by somebody who's um, a stupid kid playing a prank. And, you know, we want to 
saddle them with a with a criminal record or something. I'm glad that we're investigating um, distasteful symbolic and art. It's about time. Like get get this back to the Mapplethorpe <laughs> era. Uh, I wanted to say before, we should. It's pretty interesting, we, by the way, that uh, that that is in Gross Point, Michigan, and a Panera is in every fucking newspaper globally. I've seen it like in British <laughs> newspapers. It's like really that's that important of a story. All right, uh, we anyway. should probably punch pretty soon because I gotta do a thing. Yeah, and it's already eleven thirty in the night. Listen. I got to find a job. It's too late. <laughs> uh, I wanted to point out if that's okay with the class tomorrow that our great uh, friend and listener, Aaron Monheim um, has uh, posted a GoFundMe page. Um, I'm going to read the first paragraph of it and I'm going to do this in the spirit of, uh, I don't want to say motherfuckers cause that's rude, but uh, all you beautiful people uh, who are listening to this, um, and we know there's a lot of you, and we love you, and we appreciate how you've intervened at various points in just, like, even normal little fun fundraisers. This isn't one of those fun fundraisers. This is, like, a dear listener of ours who we've met at multiple live shows. Great guy. I'm Aaron Monheim, a 36-year-old husband to Whitney and father of Sloan, five and Cohen, eight weeks. Okay, Aaron, you're like laying it on thick, but let's go on. I am trying to raise $35,000 to get a, I'm not going to pronounce this right, a hematopoietic something stem cell transplant to put my aggressive multiple sclerosis into remission. And he talks about that. And we've known him for a long time. He's had this incredibly difficult, like random, why is this happening to me? medical issue for a really long time. He's got a GoFundMe thing. It's got $14,000 of the the target $35,000 already done before I've even said this, let alone we've published this. Um, go uh, think about doing that. We will put that on our, uh, uh, on our the weekend leaks page, if nothing else. Um, sweet dude. Uh, people get in rough circumstances. Please consider helping our friend Aaron, despite all of his, various terrible problems um with this cane uh i i, I seem to remember uh, moynihan on that night in miami when you were just had seventy five thousand uh tequilas um i don't remember yeah, anything yeah did i kick the did i kick his I, cane or something did i push him down I some mean, stairs he had a comment thank <laughs> seems, we, seems thank like I there weren't any stairs there i mean it like prevented <laughs> it from happening it was a ran- we were in a ranch house was that what we were <laughs> <laughs> somebody's Somebody in Hialeah, somebody's uh, ranch house. Awesome, um, dude. Go fund me. Yes, go yes. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Great, dude. Yeah. There you go. All right. All right. Well, um, I'll see you guys uh, soon, and we'll do something live for the kids. Uh, if for if you're a subscriber on um, Sunday, maybe Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. On Sunday, second Sunday. All right, All right. suckers. Bye. 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 Bye.